Automakers and suppliers are investing in electric and autonomous cars as well as mobility services. But Alex Partners says the industry is entering a profit desert because nobody is making money with these technologies. At least not yet. On this week's show, the panel discusses how the industry will have to handle this transition. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. You know, there's going to be a lot of changes coming up in the auto industry in the next decade. Electric cars, autonomous cars, connectivity, mobility services. The future looks bright, but will anybody make any money at it? That's what we're going to get into today because our special guest is Mark Wakefield. He's the co-head of global automotive practice at Alex Partners. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Joining me on the journalist panel today, too, are Jamie Butters from Automotive News and Joe White from Reuters. Always good to have you guys here. Great to be here. So, Mark, let's get into what I'm talking about. You, you guys at Alex Partners have done this deep dive study, and you're, you're saying that yeah. the automotive industry is about to go into a profit desert. And yet, it would seem that on a certain level, lots of excitement, lots of new things, lots of new ma- ways to make money. Why are you saying we're going into a profit desert? Well, it's a very, it is a very exciting desert in the sense that we, we coined a couple of years ago, I think 2014, this term CASE, Connected, Autonomous, Shared Mobility, and Electric, Electrified. And this is all the things that are not just the evolution of the, the business, but really incremental new things that are on top of the, the, the normal cycle of the next vehicle, even better. And when we looked at that, we said, okay, these are the the fancy new things coming. There's a different way of approaching, a smart way of getting ready for that. Those are now happening, That whereas particularly connected uh, and electrified are really here, and uh, the investments are here. The autonomous, not quite yet, but they are coming, and the investments are going in now. And so this amount of investment that goes on over the next sort of five-year period is ahead of big sales and potentially big big profits. The big profits aren't really now, though. In that five-year period, we have to get through that desert of investment before we start really getting any uh, return on this investment. So, Mark, I mean, it, I mean, at one level, it seems like completely irrational. I mean, I think your numbers are that $225 billion is going to be invested in electrification, and then there's more money going into connectivity and autonomy on top of that. Um, I mean, this is an industry that, that, that you know, would sell close relatives to get 10 or $100 a car, and yet they're yeah. doing this. It just seems irrational. Is it irrational, or is it really smart sort of investing for the future and, and that it, to, for once taking a long view, yeah. this will all work out in the end? I'm not quite sure I know, based on reading your report, where you stand on that question. Uh, we stand on that it's an existential thing for, for OEM land suppliers and the industry to participate and to move the ball forward towards case, but you've got to do it 
smart and careful and often in a way that's different than the traditional vertical value chain where the OEMs were dominant, instead in much more of a partnership and puzzle piece approach. Um, so it can be done smartly and carefully. It, not a good strategy just to hope it doesn't happen because whether you believe five, 10, or 15 years from now, X changes in the industry on connected autonomous or shared or electrified, um, most everyone believes it is going to happen more a matter of when. So you do need to participate. And if you wake up 10 years from now with no case vehicle, uh, everyone now would believe you were in trouble. But it really sounds like an, an awful uh, proposition, right? You have to invest, like you said, you know, hundreds of billions of yeah. dollars yeah. into something that doesn't have a sure profit. And when it does have one, you're, you might control less of it. Right. Uh, that would, you you may saying. control less of it, but it depends on how you play your cards. You may control more of it. Mm -hmm. um, and you may have better economics because you've changed from being a commoditized player to something that is more software electronics driven and more IP driven and protective of, of those profit pools, but not to a degree that you hold back on the opportunity is a tough balance to do, mm -hmm. but it is where the difference between winners and losers will come is how they navigate through this and how they participate without, uh, participate, improve, um, without just believing that it will come. Mm -hmm. So Mark, this, this report is full of a lot of really fascinating and maybe scary numbers and, and, and one set is that you calculate sort of the powertrain cost of a battery electric vehicle mm -hmm. at around 16,000 versus 6,500 for an internal combustion vehicle. Um, and I'm wondering, as you look at what's happening in the industry, alliances like the Volkswagen Ford deal that was just announced uh, a few days ago and other deals like that, do you see those alliances really changing that math or cha you know, changing the math so that, that, that you know, there will be profit, you know, there will be an oasis somewhere in the middle of the desert? Uh, yeah, th those deals where you're, you're not trying to have everybody assume that they're going to get 300,000 vehicles out of this this program, and instead being able to shift and to have um, battery conditioning algorithms be done uh, four times by four consortiums versus 30 times by 30 different players makes a ton of sense. And it's, it's the same argument that has been happening on the powertrain side, but it's never been able to get sort of off zero because there's a big installed base and you could never deal with that. Now these are incremental investments, there's new investments to be put into the ground, and you can take a more logical approach, a more one that has better industrial logic behind um, sharing risks and being able to get flexibility out of what you're investing in and scale out of it, plus being able to have um, the, the benefit of not having to do the same thing twice in two different rooms. Well, um, while you brought up the Ford VW deal, which is important on the electric side, that, that money pit. But on the other one, um, you've got this uh, Argo structure where it's not Ford's autonomous vehicle unit that VW invested in. It's the company that Ford invested in that VW is investing in. Does that kind of a business model with an outside company being the, the vehicle rather than wholly owned or uh, a straight up joint ventures is are there advantages to that does that is that an approach that can limit the the short term medium term losses in this industry 
It depends on where your starting point is. Um, the, there's not a one-size-fits-all. The larger OEMs, the larger suppliers have considerable electronics and software knowledge, need to develop more. Um, and we'll have a tough time transitioning mechanical engineers into electronics or mechatronics, mechatronics into software engineers. Um, and sometimes, uh, particularly with smaller OEMs, it can make sense to uh, partner for some of those skills or do wholesale changes. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all on, okay, it's just have an independent company do that, because there's tremendous risks that go along with that too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really how you go from point A to point B rather than, oh, there is a winning point B strategy of, of a structure. You know, when you talk in terms of a profit desert, that's a disaster for yep. the industry. Certainly it is for the people running the companies, because if you, as you know, if they're not profitable on these investments, they're already getting excoriated today, investing mm -hmm. in traditional technology they do know how to make a profit on. They just don't make enough to satisfy Wall Street. So mm -hmm. if you go into a profit desert, that only gets worse. Mm -hmm. The executives that run the companies, if they can't make these profits, they're all going to get fired. How do you think this is going to play out over the next, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years until we get back to maybe a nor more normal kind of industry? Well, I think, to put it in context, you know, the, the, the amount of money going into electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, is about what the OEMs and suppliers spend one, in one year's worth of CapEx and R&D expense. That's five years' worth of the current AV and EV uh, announced expenses. So the materiality is one out of every five years of your investment pool is now put aside for something that's not going to return capital immediately and not in the next you know, five-year window of, of, of this profit desert. And so you've got to be pretty smart about that, pretty transparent about that, and can keep the market's confidence that you're doing the right thing and you're doing it in a measured way, but you're going to come out the other side of this well. How do you do that? How do you say, hey, look, don't worry that we're not making any money on this. Mm -hmm. Just keep our stock price up. Uh, not overcommitting and doing what you say, um, but also showing you are making those moves in a very deliberate way, and you're not delaying on decision making. Um, so you're not hoping it that the electrified thing is a fad and won't come into play. You're actually addressing it, addressing it in a smart way, being transparent and then doing what you say and delivering on it will be a very key one and, and very important because a loss of confidence that someone's not going far enough or a loss of confidence while you're spending too much and you're ignoring the profitable, the profitable business you have today that you need to nurture. Um, if you go too far in one of those two ways, it's, it's not going to go well. Mark, let me ask you, so let's do a thought experiment where you know, you're, you're running a supplier company um, mm -hmm. or you're a decision maker at a supplier company and you're looking at this kind of unstable environment and, yeah. and trying to figure out where to put your chips. I mean, it seems like the, the risks are huge. Um, you either stay committed to internal combustion and you, know, you go off into the sunset, you mm -hmm. overcommit to electrification and you're in, the, you're in the middle of the profit desert. I mean, what do you do or what do you see supplier company executives doing to kind of play mm -hmm. this play the odds on all of this, because it's got to be yeah. really difficult. Uh, it can be, but you've got to be clear-eyed about things are changing. And you're, you sometimes uh, may turn into a business that has really two different looking businesses. But at that juncture point, you have new business that's, that you need to think about in a different way. Invest in a more measured milestone way. 
have different kind of discussions and arrangements with the OEMs to be able to do that in a measured way because you don't have the confidence, the same degree of confidence of this vehicle will sell that many in three years' time on an EV that you might on, on an existing replacement vehicle. And your investments have to reflect that. At the same time, you can't turtle. You do need to make that change. You do need to, to um, put yourself and your company into a new view. If you said, okay, I'm going to invest in the next, you know, these machining centers to do this or this, this powertrain, um, and in the past you'd think, okay, I can get three cycles of slight modifications out of it, you need to question that now and say, do I really need that? Do I, will I really get that out of it? Yeah, will you get three cycles? Will you get 10 years or 15 years or, yeah. or less? Right? But at the same time, you don't want to put a massive amount of capacity there, building it and hoping, it, hoping the volumes come. So it is a, it's a tough one, but it's, it is a manageable one. If you're clear-eyed, you challenge the myths and the sort of traditional thinking of, of how to approach new business and, and R&D, but also you don't, you make sure there's a profit motivation, a cash flow focus, a transparency on how you see it and how your customers and your suppliers see this business going forward so that you're not getting over your skis. Is it perhaps more navigable, this uh, theoretical, one of those cases where it's better to be a supplier than an automaker because you can, you do write a contract <laughs> and, uh, uh, and you, you know what your, what your, you have a good idea what your revenue is going to be uh, and you can pick and choose maybe your timing and which projects to be on? I think the, the degrees of freedom are obviously much, much higher on an OEM. Um, so the complexity of that is is definitely challenging. On a supplier, you don't have as many degrees of freedom. That's also a bit of a scary thing in the sense that you don't control necessarily the success of the whole vehicle, and you have to sign up to uh, amount of capital and being able to capacitize for doing something at a certain volume, mm -hmm. whether or not that volume comes. So it's a different challenge. I wouldn't say one is necessarily easier than the other. I mean, it seems like volume, I mean, look, volume projections in this business have always been, you know, kind of a Ouija board sort of exercise. Yeah. And it seems like in the, in the case of electric vehicles, it's even more so. I mean, again, yeah. from your report, I mean, you yeah. lo you're looking at sort of average projected sales per entry, per model, of yeah. about 14,000 vehicles a year, yeah. which is not good. No. Um, and, um, and I imagine that in discussions between suppliers and OEMs now, there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement over, okay, we're, we think we're going to sell 100,000. No, you're not. I mean, how, how do you see that playing out? Uh, it's a tough one. It depends a lot on the dynamics and trust and partnership between a supplier and an OEM. The, the average sales per, per electric, battery electric vehicle is now around 10 or 11 and may go to 14 <laughs> with, uh, with increases. That's good news. Um, compared to the non-BEV, it's like 90,000 units yeah. per on average. So dramatic difference. And yet, a lot of, of you know, OEMs, their baby is the, the prettiest baby, smartest baby, all this. And so they think it will take a share. And you need a level of optimism and a level of confidence in your product for it to even have a chance at doing well. But there needs to be a pragmatism in how much capital do we really put into this. And, and those often work in a discussion where there is a, a high degree of trust and a senior enough level meeting of the minds where it's a RFP contractual back and forth transactional, um, those can go wrong because the guy that overcommits 
uh, or says he overcommits and then doesn't put capital into the ground, um, isn't actually the best business partner, the one that actually forces the better decision to be happening earlier um, is the better decision uh, business partner. And so that's a, a good way through it. It's not an easy way through it, and it's not the typical way we've been working in the past when you've got the replacement part on a vehicle you had in the past. Mm -hmm. How do you think this is going to play out uh, in the sense that Tesla's done a very good job of selling electric cars. I think it sells more than everybody else put together, i.e., all the others have failed miserably at selling electric cars. What's it going to take to turn that around? The, well, the, the, fundamentally, the, the cost of electric vehicles coming down. Uh, you know, in our surveys, it's not environmentalism that is the top driver of people but wanting them. we've seen them. Nissan, for example, cost. drop the price of the Leaf to $28,000. Yes didn't do anything for sales. There was a little blip and yeah. now it's nothing. So I, I understand what you're saying that you got to get the cost of the batteries down. Even Tesla has to do that. Nobody's yeah. making a profit on these vehicles. Yeah. But it's not just getting the cost down to the consumer, the price down to the consumer. There's got to be something else. Tesla yeah. clearly has cracked the code. I don't think anybody else has yet. Well, Tesla has a charging infrastructure and the numbers two and three of our survey of reasons why people wouldn't pay an even amount is around charging infrastructure. Um, number one is around range. So none of those are around cost. The concern on cost, though, did go higher in this year's survey. And so um, people are attuned on the, on the flip side of, of the higher cost for the same package size, for the same effective vehicle. They are fundamentally paying more now. Some people value that enough to like it. Um, some brands brand it well and, and have been very successful at communicating uh, a brand promise and living that brand promise. Um, and others have struggled with it. The challenge right now, though, is fundamentally you've still got costs that are too high. And so it's, it's because of a brand push in some areas. And let's remember, it's 1% of the market, a little more than 1% of the market. It's not substantial at the moment. Um, it's predicted to go higher in the future, but there's, you know, we're the future being a decade, right? So it's a challenge, uh, and it's a challenge where fundamentally the TCO, the total cost of ownership, um, has to really be a break even in, in the majority of segments for it to take off. So, Mark, you've, part of, I mean, this is, I think one of the, the things I would question about your report a little bit, but I want to ask you to talk about it, is Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. It's, it's sort of business-like and rational. The problem is that a lot of, of, of the electric vehicle debate is actually affected by politics and policy and, and, yeah. and feelings yes. about air pollution. I mean, look what's going on in Europe where they've had, you know, they had yeah. a, a brutally hot summer, lots of air pollution, and now calls for banning you know, internal combustion vehicles in Paris and so on. Yeah. So I'm just wondering how you, you know, how you or how you would advise clients, you know, to say, okay, look, in addition to all these other things, Here's how you factor the public policy, sort of political, social risk into these decisions as well. Yeah. Well, you, you take somewhat of a bet on what markets are like each other and which ones are not. And which ones do I want to play in? Am I in now? And, and which ones can I make money in? So you would typically not go for your, your latest and greatest in a, in a market that doesn't value that technology as much. So you're seeing the Chinese government pushing electric vehicles and continuing to push electric vehicles, and you're seeing Norway and others as the sort of um, end of the spectrum cases on pushing electric vehicles, and 
lo and behold, that stick and carrot approach has, is driving those markets to be much higher. You know, Europe is also now with the diesel, the change in the public's view of diesel, regardless of the, the engineer's view of diesel, the public's view of diesel is that, you know, it's, it's not something I want. And so this change to electrification is, is now seeing Europe um, catch up as China um, doesn't go as heavy on electrification as it has in the past. But you can see these governments doing things that are fairly predictable. They don't change 180 degrees um, on a dime. The U.S., while it's softened off on its regulatory push, mm -hmm was never the lead horse on that electrification push, absent the sort of California Zev things, which were in, but then as soon as they were not achieved, were taken out. Um, the Chinese ones have never been, when they weren't achieved, they weren't taken out. You know, it yeah, it really meant do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bring the pressure on. And so it's, it's less, sitting here in North America, maybe it, because of the change of us reducing our requirements and our regulations and not showing the level of, of carrot that some of the countries are showing. The other countries have, have either increased, have not modified their long-term view quite so much. Europe's had the diesel change, but their grams per, per kilometer hasn't really changed as a view. China has moved a bit away from the demand incentives and more to the supply side, but they still have it in their plan to, to lead in electrification. And so you can make investment decisions based on those. So if the fundamental problem is the cost, yes. they cost too much, yeah. <laughs> um, you do have, you see, you say there's, uh, there's progress, about 4%, uh, 4 of costs coming out from technology improvements and 7% yeah. from scale. Yeah. So those are like, if you can add those together and you get maybe a 10, 11% per year, yeah. maybe it evens out in about six years. Something uh, like yeah, that, like mid twenty twenties. Yeah. Uh, is that? That's. I mean, I just want to make sure I was reading your numbers right, right. first of all. But uh, so, what is? So, is that really when America and the rest of uh, we can embrace EVs and have them available even in Midwest states that don't follow the California protocols and all that? Less so with that because you still got the range, you still got charging, mm -hmm. um, and again, those were one and two of the of the reasons not to. Right. Um, so you still got those things. But for an inflection curve point in the leading markets in China and Europe, um, once you cross that TCO or get near that TCO. Total cost of ownership. Total cost of ownership um, point in, in crossing the curves. Then you say, okay, I'm past this part of the S-curve and I'm now turning the corner into a growth part doesn't mean that in the U.S. where gas is cheap or regulatory stick isn't as high that you pass that curve as fast, um, but we see it passing faster in China and in Europe. But I, I would add, too, that your $6,500 for an yeah. internal combustion engine powertrain, yeah. that's a pretty high boat internal combustion engine. You're probably talking oh, just twin engine. turbo, <laughs> V8, intercool, direct injection, variable valve timing. Yeah. Because I know for a fact uh, uh, a naturally aspirated four-cylinder engine yeah. is about 1200 bucks. Yeah. An automatic on top of that, it maybe adds another eight hundred. You're you're at maybe two thousand dollars. Yeah. So you're talking about a crossover at the upper end of the market well, again, in the mid twenties. You can't necessarily compare, you know, an electric motor with an engine. You know, you have to look you at the whole powertrain, right? right? The fuel systems, the evaporators, right. the the whole balance of plant, and put it all together. 
and then you have to say, this is getting invariably more expensive as an ICE. You know, it depends on the region and segment, 14 to 25% more expensive over that period, whereas the battery electric vehicle powertrain goes down over that period, uh, both by scale and by technology as it goes. So technology way faster than the ICE um, uh, technology improvement and the regulatory hurdle on ICEs right now, you know, the European 95 grams per kilometer, that's going to be a real tough one because we've been switching out of diesels into to, uh, ICE engines, gas engines, uh, and it's sort of flatlined the improvement. So a big jump, uh, and that jump is in cost in an ICE. So as you look at, I mean, back to the desert metaphor, which I really yeah. like, I mean, as you look at the industries that are standing on the edge of this desert starting to walk in, yeah. um, do all the parties walk out? Or, or do you see that at long last there's really going to be a pretty significant consolidation in the, in the industry, either, either you know, like up front in terms of the number of brands and number of companies that face consumers, or you know, behind the curtain as Volkswagen or Ford where you know, they're, not, they're, they're joining together to produce you know, one set of you know, software for electric mm -hmm. vehicles, that kind of thing. I'm just sort of wondering at, at what point the consolidation really starts to kick in or, yeah. or doesn't it? I'm just, you know, what's your view? It really depends on how people navigate this, this period, this valley, or this profit desert. Because if you go into it with a very pragmatic plan to get out the other side um, that isn't one year away from, from having to stop half your development programs because you run out of money because one year, you missed it by one year, um, then, you know, that's pretty tight. If you've actually got a pretty pragmatic plan that gives you degrees of freedom, allows you to invest as you go, um, allows you to also pull back as you go or accelerate, and you have the cash balance, you have the, the, core, the current business to get through that, and generating enough cash to get you through that, um, you come out the other side. But it, it means play it smart. You can't sit on the current business only and just improve that, and you can't bet the farm on a completely new thing. You have to balance that near and far at the same time and be pragmatic about how much it'll cost going through this and find ways on partnerships, on other smart ways of how do I participate um, to make sure that you're, you're selling a, a current generation and you're going to have the charging infrastructure, you're going to have the right range, and you're going to have the cost, upfront cost, um, to be able to, to compete. Well, good. With that, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it up. So we, we get through the desert though, right? In, in, in your scenario at some point? <laughs> yes, everyone believes that, there's a, that there is a future out there, but the, the navigation of that desert will uh, separate some winners and losers. Well, good. With that, we're wrapping it up. Mark Wakefield, thanks again for coming on the show. Jamie Butters, Joe White, want to thank you. And of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.